Good evening and welcome to the Royal Academy. This is the third in our series of uh, artistic provocations. All events at the Academy in certain ways stem from our exhibition programme. But um, I think the Rubens exhibition is a very interesting show in that regard because it's a complicated show, it's a demanding show, it's a show that is not literalist. It explores something as complex and as precise and as nebulous as an artist's legacy over the centuries. So just as we use Rubens in that exhibition as a kind of springboard to see how other people used him creatively or not so creatively, so tonight, one aspect of Rubens, just one aspect of Rubens, his depiction of human body and, and flesh, is the beginning or the springboard for a discussion um, with a panel that really doesn't need any introduction, but that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, Tom Shakespeare is an artist, a writer and a sociologist. Grayson Perry is an artist, writer and commentator as well as a kind of sociologist of, of sorts, and a Royal Academician. Jermaine Greer is an academic, a theorist, a writer, an emeritus professor of English Literature and Comparative Studies at the University of Warwick, and you never talk about people's ages, but she told the world she was 76 yesterday on Question Time, so many happy returns, Jermaine. You also, you also described yourself as a bed blocker yesterday. We don't think that in any way. I hope that's not your role tonight. Um, and chairing the panel, um, Britain's most famous classicist, uh, Professor Mary Beard, Professor of Classics at Cambridge University, and also the Professor of Ancient Literature here at the Royal Academy. Mary, over to you. Thank you very much, Tim. You, you stole my joke about Jermaine being a bed blocker, which I was hoping to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could make it, a joke about it too. Yeah. <laughs> We're Good all, to get our priorities sorted. For we're all bed blockers up here, OK? Now, I don't want to spend more than a couple of minutes keeping you from the panellists, but I want to give you just a tiny bit of introduction to what lies behind this session. Um, and that's really to say that when the Academy was planning this show, or at least getting it towards... Um, its fruition. It was very clear that Rubens, in all kinds of ways, provoked strong reactions. And I've spent quite a lot of the last, or the evenings of the last six weeks, going through Rubens' bibliography. And you know, even the most academic book will start with things like saying, well, he's really more admired than loved. And then they'll have a routine reference to fat women. Um, and they will pussyfoot around the Rubenesque. And then they will move on to whatever they want to do. And I suppose we think that this show, in part, takes on and challenges and dispels some of those stereotypes. But it nevertheless seemed worth worthwhile to actually take a bit head-on that sense of the connection in our minds between Rubens and a particular sort of body image that we tend to rather erroneously, I think, or unhelpfully classify as the Rubenesque. And I think one of the, the things we want to do this evening, and we don't have a huge amount of time, is to try to make, to complexify, to make that a bit more complicated. And uh, I think there is absolutely no doubt there are going to be disagreements amongst our three panellists. Uh, there are going to be disagreements about what Rubens himself was up to, and also, and this is significantly, I think, different, but it merges, about why we, and by we I mean us from the 18th century onwards, honestly, have reacted to Rubens as we 
do. Now, as a classicist, I also hope, and I'm going to support my, my kind of last pitch for classics in understanding Rubens, is I hope we'll be able to think that we can think in a way about the images of bodies in this painter in relation to what we know or might know or don't know about the classical body. And I'm quite interested to see how that uh, strand develops. I, I was very pleased to discover uh, that uh, in, one, in one of Rubens' many studios, he had the slogan painted on the wall, mens sana incorpore sano, which we know as a healthy mind and a healthy body as some kind of 19th century um, slogan of perfection. In fact, as Rubens would have known, in the original juvenile, it was more to the effect of if only one could have a healthy mind in a healthy body. But I'm going to start, just so you kind of get a sense of where these people are coming from, by saying to each of them, who were wonderfully accommodating um, guests, you know, every single one of them, well, you know, when we said, would you like to come and talk about Rubens? They said, yes, right? So, and I sort of want to know why and what and, you know, how, before we get to the nitty-gritty, you know, where are these people coming from when they come and we come to Rubens? So I'm going to start with Tom. Okay. Um, well, obviously, I said yes, because why wouldn't you want to sit on a stage um, with Mary Grayson and Jermaine? It's obvious. Um, and I hate Rubens. I hated Rubens <laughs> when I was an art history student, and I had to go and look at Rubens, and I realized, actually, what was Rubens? There were many Rubens, and I didn't hate all of them. I hated the uh, Counter-Reformation Rubens and the mythological Rubens and the sycophantic Rubens, but I loved the Rubens that painted his children. I loved the Rubens that painted his wife, and I adored the Rubens that painted landscapes. So I was obviously ignorant, utterly ignorant, about this man who painted 5,000. Well, he and his people painted 5,000 paintings. Staggering. And uh, we have this painting, and this I was staggered by. It's so small. You've been to the exhibition. I had this idea that all Rubens was huge. It's tiny. It's like a little bit of art porn for your bedroom. But what strikes me about this, and this is my final word, is that what you have here is what you have in lots of Rubens. You have the dark, swarthy, earthy man and the faint, ethereal, pale ladies. But they're not ladies. My, uh, my point is, and it's not an original point, is these are not ladies. He never had a naked model in his studio. He'd seen an awful lot of classical statuary, and I suspect he'd seen a few naked blokes and his wives, but... Look at the boobs. One of them is in her armpit. I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, the lady's boob does not belong in the armpit. Look at the muscles of that upper arm. I have friends who work out, but in those days, really? Did women have muscles like that? That's a man with little boobs pointed on his upper chest. So this idea of the Rubensian female, when I went to look at the exhibition with my partner, we were looking around and going, these are not women, except for his wives. Those are women. These are sort of frothy confections. They all have the same face. Let's have a meter of girlitude. The men have character, have identity, are people, individuals, not the women. 
So I do like Rubens a lot more than when you asked me, but still I worry that if we have the word Rubensian for a whole type of womanhood, we've really done womanhood rather down. Thank you. I'm going to put Grayson into bat now. Yeah, I, in, with this distinguished panel and incredibly learned and especially about our history, I do find that I'm kind of representing page three here almost. I, I must admit, when I got the email to, to, to talk this evening, I did concentrate more on the body image part of it than Rubens because because I was more interested in that, to tell you the truth. <laughs> because, you know, that's, the, that's something I, I like looking at society right in front of me now here. And so I'm very interested in, the, you know, how we view our bodies now. And, of course, um, Ruben-esque is one of the sort of common words we use for, you know, and, and women and fat and men and muscles. These are sort of big issues in society. And... Um, I'm sort of interested in them because uh, I've been reading around about body image, you know, and one of the things that I kind of get the impression that the guys who pump themselves up, I mean, um, they always remind me a bit of blokes when I go motorbiking and they go, oh, yeah, this motorbike, it'll work. The girls love this motorbike. And I always go, no, they don't. The only people you've got that motorbike for is to impress other blokes with big motorbikes. And I kind of think the same about the guys that have big muscles like that, that they're really getting pumped up for other guys with big muscles. So it's sort of... That's sort of one aspect of sort of modern body image that I'm sort of interested in. And I was reading this morning an interesting thing that, you know, that um, the most popular size for women that men are attracted to is size 12. It's not like a little sticky model. Anyway, I'll come back to the, these themes later on, I think, if, it, if they're relevant. But um, so I'm more interested in uh, the body image part of the talk, this talk than Rubens. Rubens, I find... Yeah, he's, he's one of those big swooshy paintings in gold frames that I immediately turn past, you know, in a way. I, I do like, like Tom, I do like him more than I did before. Now I've seen the exhibition, but... Um, so we've got two naysayers here already. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Rubens has got a, a beta query plus in my terms, but Germaine, come on. Well, I think there's lots of reasons why British people find it hard to deal with Rubens. They find it hard to work out where he actually came from. Every now and then they call him Dutch, and they're kind of mad that he's not from here. But in fact, he's Belgian, like Hercule Poirot. And he comes from Antwerp, and he's a Catholic. And he's, uh, first of all, a religious painter. And the interesting thing was that so little of that work was in this exhibition. So the body he paints most often is the pierced body of Christ. I've given a whole series of lectures on the perforated body using the imagery of the Christ figure through the ages because no one ever really discusses it. So there's, and the interesting thing about Rubens's Christs is that they're heroic. And this again is something the British don't get. They think they should be pathetic. They should be something or other. And in fact, they are monumental. And the other thing Rubens does, which is really hard to do, is he gives these bodies weight. Here they are in paint, and they weigh a ton. The deposition of Christ. Every painter who's looked at that has thought, how the hell did he do that? That extraordinary swathe of white with the body sinking into it and no sentimentality. And this they hold against Rubens. Endless stuff written in the papers about this show, about how there's never any feeling in Rubens. And you think, you idiots, you're all looking for the wrong feeling. Now, this, they say about the, this painting, it's a rape. It's an abduction. It's only in English that the 
word for abduction and the word for uh, violent sexual intercourse happens to be the same, that mistake wouldn't be made anywhere in Europe. These women are being abducted. And you may be interested to know that the marriage by capture still prevails in Europe. There's nothing extinct about it. In our own country, Romanis capture their wives. It's a truism of social anthropology. We marry our enemies. So here we've got women being snatched. But what is interesting to me about all of this is that it's, been, it's a very violent encounter potentially, but it's been turned into an extraordinary icon of reconciliation. The parts are all balanced. The women have got to fall, but they're not falling. The men are trying to raise them, but they're unable to raise them. It's typical of Baroque art in that it, it, it confounds your expectations. What should happen isn't happening. But the other thing that interests me is, here we've got these women, try and work out the anatomy of the lower woman there. You won't find it possible. She's got at least one extra hip. So what's the special thing here? It's true, Rubens didn't have female models. He, he had a thousand copies and drawings and engravings of the work of every kind of classical artist in the engravings by Marco Raimondi, for example, and he used these. It's almost like making a cut-out collage and working out, how am I going to do this? Bunging in the two horses, who've been tremendously um, objected to, but again, he didn't have a rearing horse in the studio. These are all memories. These are all, if you like, cliches. How does he make them live? He makes them live by the way he uses the paint. Now, what I said before was that the, the squid is the secret. What you have here is a shimmering flesh surface that suggests the movement of the body beneath. Um, they're not even as boneless as female nudes usually are. But this is the important thing about Rubens. Not, he's not some sort of seaside postcard maker. He's a painter. And it's not only that he is the greatest manipulator of oil paint who ever lived, oil paint itself changes very soon after this, and you can't do this anymore, which is why Delacroix would go and look at one of Rubens' works and break his heart trying to do something nearly like it. He is an extraordinary painter. And to make facile judgments about his lardy monsters, as they have been called online, is just to shortchange yourself. This is a great painter, and we have how many paintings in the National Gallery? 30. We've never been short of Rubens. It's just that we weren't interested. This is our chance to discover something that is enormously pleasing and valuable in our own culture. I think that's really interesting. I, I kind of... I'm still going to worry about going down the route that you're wanting to take us, Germaine, of saying, well, look, this is all art, right? Rape, uh, oh, stuff you stupid English. Rape doesn't mean rape, it means abduction. And we're going to think about this in terms about the painterly surface. And, you know, I think that's... But it's just, not I, a rape, it is a I, painting. I want, that's the issue about representation, isn't it? Do we... In, this goes back to the 18th century and looking at, you know, let's look at the famous sculpture of Laocoon and say, God, isn't that brilliant? And then say, hang on, guys, we're looking at the sculpture of a murder. Do we like that?
And I think one of the things I, I hope we're going to come on to in a bit, and Tom's going to help me out here, uh, is how you do, how you bridge that gap between saying, uh, this is an amazingly proficient painting, and this is actually in some way about bodies and us and flesh, uh, and I suppose all that Grayson doesn't like. I don't know. I think we project so much onto you know older. How much do we know about what Rubens was really? You know, art historians they spout off in front of paintings and they say this is artist. This is what he intended. And do they really know a lot of the time? I think they're just projecting their modern sensibilities into the mindset of of people hundreds of years ago. And I think the you know the whole this debate about Rubens is actually you know relatively recent uh, idea because the idea of you know that that. It's an anomaly that these women are curvaceous and attractive is a relatively modern idea. I mean, even 20 years ago, the average supermodel was only, I think, 6% heavier than the average woman. Now, or 6% lighter than the average woman. Yeah, we got that wrong. Now, she's 20% lighter than the average woman, something like this. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a very recent phenomenon that we are appalled by curvaceousness. And I, I read a very interesting uh, psychological study today that said that why men are interested in curvaceous bodies, which, which they are, I mean, all the surveys show they're not interested in stick-thin models, um, was because uh, the, the fat that is stored in the hips of women is a particular sort of fat that, that is useful for breeding big-brained big babies because the brain is mainly made out of fat. And so, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm quoting this article. And so, it's the, the reason they like big hips is because you're going to get a big brain baby out of it. So, that's, that's one take from the psychological community. But look, I think it's important also to say <laughs> that in this case, what happens to everybody involved in this picture except the horses is that they are translated into gods and they figure amongst the constellations. So, that's all right then. Well, the, the subject matter is about divine intervention. It's not about what... I mean, this, if you want to talk about a rape, talk Titian. You know, talk somebody on the bed with a knife in his hand and a woman screaming. This isn't what this is about. These are not seaside postcards. No, this is not pornography. I think that he's the Quentin Tarantino of his day. Uh, he, could do, he could do history, he could do sex, he could do uh, religion, he could do uh, mythology, but it's like entertainment. Somebody would essentially ring him up and say, we want three metres of sex or three <laughs> metres of violence. He'd say, he'll be with you in a week. And this is, he's a businessman. He's in a marketplace, and he's just giving people what titillates them, like Quentin. Well, hang on a minute. Um, this, I think... No, I'm not certain about this. It was finally acquired by the Electo Palatine in 1716 or something. Um, and, in fact, Rubens, Rubens had died in 1640. I think that painting was in his own collection. Uh, he might have made it at a, as a commission, in which case... The stifter, the person who made the commission, would have told him exactly what he wanted. I want to see this, I want to see that, I want to see the other. Um, it seemed to me, if we consider the, the real excuse for this whole exhibition, which is the tiny sketch that has now been authenticated from Oslo, uh, we'll see uh, that we've, what we've got here is uh, a, a transformation of the idea. I mean, this makes me laugh because here it, the story is... 
the Dioscorae grabbing the two girls. What we've got here is an unknown man uh, rushing across the front of the picture, <coughs> carrying one of the Lucipides as if she was a, a dressmaker's model. It's frankly fairly dreadful. It's also very small and rather puddled. I'm not sure, um, I don't care whether it's authentic, that's not the issue, but what happens here is that Rubens twists the image, brings it right in your face so it falls onto you. But this is the Baroque. It's not falling. But he's, he's fabulous. He does this brilliantly well. Um, he does a lot of scenes brilliantly well, but is that enough? What more do you want for crying out loud? I want to be moved. I want to cry. I want to feel genuine feeling. Wait a minute. There is a genuine feeling. What happens in a Baroque painting is you're given an aesthetic solution to an intractable problem. And it is seen to be effective and ineffective at the same time. The absolute essence of this kind of art is contradiction. He's not offering you any easy certainties. He's not Greuze, and I'm bloody glad he's not. My problem is right now, I'm not sure I agree with any of you, <laughs> um, which is perhaps what my job is. Um, but I think it, what's quite interesting is that, that Grayson, apart, I mean, Grayson has kind of done a sidestep. Um, so we've avoided Rubens. Those of you that have talked about Rubens have actually decided to go round the back of Rubens um, and to say, look, you know, all you guys... Bend say this, over, Rubens. Bend over, Rubens. That's, thank you, Jermaine. Just right. Bend over. Um, and to try to push this in a different place. And I, I suppose I think I want to hear first from Jermaine, really, about, and I mean, I think there is there is a a reasonable, even if not true, argument that would say, look, um, we do think about this as this is for most modern viewers, and you might say they've got it wrong or whatever. Most modern viewers are going to say this is about this is about body, this is about flesh, but I am wanting. As, as I take it, you're saying, I wanted to say, this is really about art and an engagement with the classical. Is that what you're saying? No. Oh. I don't right. think anybody here thinks that is what I was saying. What I'm saying uh, uh, is... I'm, I'm terribly sorry. What I'm, I'm saying here is there's no rape in this picture. I'm not interested about rape. I mean, well, well, I, I, am, inter I, I am interested in rape in all kinds of ways. But uh, what I want, you know... I, We've had various things coming out of this. You know, and just take the, the basic problem is that you know, go out and do a, um, a, a, a street survey and we know what people think about Rubens and you're trying to say to us, look, actually, those bodies have to be seen differently. You are being, you're being so British, Mary, in thinking about those bodies in those terms. Leaving aside the or only putting the rape in a marginal position, how do you think that we should look at those bodies that you're showing us? Mary, if I went out in the street and asked people about a recent RA and about her famous bloody bed, I'd get all the same prejudiced, foolish, ignorant... Uh, all assuming that it's about her biography or it's some piece of gossip or whatever, I'm not about to go about 
and ask people who've never looked at a painting what they think about paintings that show women falling down, men on horseback, and an extraordinary long-distance view between the horse's legs. I'm not going to ask them. Uh, really good, that. I think it's really, really good. Somebody else probably painted it. <laughs> well, now we're really getting to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, if, if they did, the whole point about being Rubens in charge of this enormous workshop mm. is that he is the quality controller. He, and he redraws what they get wrong. I mean, it's really quite interesting when Marie de Médicis commissioned the enormous um, cycle, which is now in the Louvre, which was in Luxembourg, she only made one stipulation that Rubens paint all the figures. Now, that tells you something. But, Jermaine, I, I still, to some extent, I still think that you're being a bit, a bit of an anti-populist. Because it's, you know, it's dead, it's dead easy, isn't it, to go out and say, look, actually, if you ask most people, you know, most, you know, I'm intelligent people, I'm not historians, I'm not, you know, about what, you know, what has made an impact about Rubens, then it is, in some senses, about body image. And I think that it's fine for you to say, well, you've all got it wrong, guys. But I think, in some ways, one needs to be able to do to engage with that better. If you're going to say this isn't what we want to talk about in relation to these paintings, then how do you show us that it isn't? Because I look at this, and okay, I can take Tom's idea that, you know, the breasts are hopeless. Uh, I can say... They're you know, upside down. Yeah, upside Thank you. I mean, I can also do... You know, you know, I look at that as a classicist, and I say, you know, in some ways they're both doing the Laocoon pose. They're actually all being, you know, eaten by snakes. But, you know, for, for you to tell me somehow that I'm looking at this entirely wrongly... I, I think you're looking at it wrongly. Because I think that what Rubens... You're not to like it, you know. No one's saying you can't not like it. I quite like it, actually. I think what Rubens does is something different. If you go back to Pan and Syrinx, or more importantly, you go to the portrait of Maria... Uh, Grimaldi, um, uh, what's happening here is that over and over and over again in his work, he's doing Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast doesn't get written till 1756. It's an old, old story, but he does the pale, uh, virginal woman with a dark, swarthy, ugly man, and he does it over and over again. And it's now a major trope in our culture. We have films and we have thousands of other artworks. And I thought, this can't be. He can't have invented it. And, of course, a lot of it comes from the metamorphosis and so forth. But if you look back, if you look at Giorgione, if you're Piero, and if you look at all these people, look at Titian, who is his great master, none of them do what he does. I mean, this is my, you know, obviously most interesting painting. But, you know, the pan and syrinx and these other um, rapes and the, uh, that terrible one of the, the uh, hermit and... Um, uh, Angelica. Uh, An Angelica. You know, over and again, it's what he does over and over and over again. He's got this fixation with Beauty and the Beast. And I think that that comes through to us. But, you know, it's not the flabby women that's important. It's that. And I think he does it in a way no previous painter had done. And he leaves us with this trope, uh, which is influential right up to today. Uh, and I just want to stand behind you, sit behind you, and I want to lean out my arm... And then we can have a little lap dog, I think it's just about there. A light, more light, more light. And we'll be there. But you're also going to have to get the ray of sunshine <laughs> that is shining through the back of her chair. I mean, that's, ooh, oh. that's a piece of bravura. Yeah, well, see, this is, uh, this is Fusli. Well, this is my take on Fusli. 
And Fusli, as you know, does this, and loads and loads of people do it. The naked love, or the clothed maiden, the, the, the virginal figure, and the swarthy, dark, godly, <laughs> non <laughs> um, And I think it all starts with, with Rubens, I really do. Well, disgust is, is a very big part of sexuality, isn't it? It's like, that is something, I mean, I've heard, you know, people have sexual fancies that are about things that disgust them. And so I think that um, maybe he, uh, that's his particular take. I don't know. See, I don't want to ruin it. Re, re, read into Rubens at all. I mean, unless I could sit, sit him down here and ask him. But Chris, I'm not going to sit... I mean, we, we haven't got Rubens here, and, you know, sadly, he's unavailable. Um, for comment. Yeah. <laughs> for, for comment. But I also, like Tom, was, I, I think, the painting in this show that most struck me, and I went looking for bodies, and what struck me most was not, you know, Venus Frigida or any of the naked women... What struck me most amongst the Rubens was this picture. And for, for, in some ways, I think, like Tom, and I was kind of a bit dis dispirited by... I'm terribly sorry, one shouldn't criticise the host, but I was a bit dispirited by the label, which kind of suggested to, to me that, um, that the dwarf might have been an added extra because the whole point of the picture seemed to me to be exactly what Tom said this is this is about this is what really Rubens is at this is about a particular version of male and female bodies you know which oh in flesh is not particularly interesting but I want to know what you know come on Grace what do you think of this picture before you say something I just want to say one more thing you've left out a word the title is actually I think Maria Grimaldi and her dwarf yeah this was her possession well, as an artist, I look at this painting and it looks a bit weirdly lopsided. You know, it does look like the dwarf has been added on later because it sort of unbalances the painting. But who came to this painting and said, what this painting really needs is a dwarf? <laughs> you know, it's a great painting, but, you know, it's really deficient in the dwarf element. But there's also the fact that it's what this painting needs is a tall dwarf. Well, yeah. He's standing on a box. Oh, well, who knows what yeah. he's on? I, th I think that's why it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant because dwarf is bigger than her. And, you know, if there's one thing that is really in your face about this picture is that it's a tall dwarf. And I think that it... <laughs> uh, I think that really... Uh, oh, sorry, Grayson. Oh, don't look at this. I think that makes it stand out from the one that's hung next to it, the Van Dyke uh, hung next to it in the show. But isn't it interesting that Van Dyke is trying to endear himself to various royal parties. And instead of doing what Rubens does, he elongates all his figures. He extends their yeah. thighs yeah. until they're twice as long as they could possibly be. And we think that's okay. Yeah. The other thing we think is okay is he paints portraits, yeah. which is the only art form the British understand. <laughs> so, there. Oh, so did the Romans, actually. Um, um, but also he paints you an insipid child. I mean, I think the contrast between the child being smaller uh, and actually clearly smaller and utterly white and utterly unthreatening. But don't ignore the uh, desperate dog. Oh, oh, is, there, is there one in that one? Too? There's a desperate dog, look. The dog's to show that the child is inherently lovable. Yes. You know that's not the case. The dog's the, too small the, and the man's no, too big. Unbalancing but, uh, the whole concept. But uh, having 
Look, different art, they maybe different artists did them and they just got it wrong. They didn't sort of collaborate very well. <laughs> maybe they're the dwarf specialist and the dog specialist and they didn't sort of collaborate properly. This is the problem when you collaborate on an artwork. What I like about this dwarf, he's got a shaved head, a bit like me. He's got a big fleshy yeah. red nose. He's drunk too much. He hasn't shaved for a week. You know, he's a person. He's a real person. But the lady is, you know, her, her head is dislocated from the rest of her body by the rough and it's like she's sort of this idealistic ethereal non-person so you're i mean i take it what you're saying tom is that actually forget the bits of nakedness but look at this show in relation to particular representations of maleness and femaleness and um, normative images and othered images is that well, you're a professor and I'm not, but I'm assuming that's what... You will yeah, be, darling. Uh, one day. But I think, but what, what occurred to me, you asked me to look at Rubens. I looked at a lot of Rubens, and I think over and over again, he's doing this sort of um, idealistic woman and this very down-to-earth man. This ugly man and this, this earthly man and this saintly woman. He's got this sort of thing. That, that men, are, and I don't know whether this was in his childhood or his, uh, 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 you know, his, his life in general, but that men are dark and dirty and nasty and rah, and women are love this in ethereal, platonic type ideal. And I don't think that any other artist quite does it like Rubens. I want to bring Grayson in here because um, you... One of the most important things here is clothes. And this is what Grayson knows about. Um, she is dressed as a princess... She's not dressed as a housewife, and this is part of the iconography of a ruling family. And there's an awful lot of braid and what have you, apart from the ruff, you can't turn your head either. No, I, I know all about uncomfortable dresses, for sure. <laughs> because what interests me is women clothed are people, and women without clothes are something else. They might be goddesses, but they're usually allegories. That nakedness itself is not informative. What is informative is the regalia, and she's an example of regalia. But Princess Grimaldi, I mean, not, no, Princess, oh, not Grayson. <laughs> but Grayson's already said he can't stand Rubens, really, and, and yet you have actually, unlike these other two, you've actually confronted the modern standard image of Rubens is about size, it is about flesh, it is about women's bodies. Tell us a bit more. Well, I met this group of women when I was making my last TV programme and uh, they were trying to kind of uh, sort of rustle up a kind of fat pride movement almost, you know. And, and I thought, you know, that's great, you know, because they all thought that they'd never be able to become slim again because they were quite ginormous, some of them. And, um, but I just did thought that it, it goes beyond aesthetics when it becomes a sort of health issue. So you can sort of look at these things and say, yeah, I, mean, I like, you know, as a man, I can appreciate the sexuality of... Uh, a, the bigger woman, because uh, you know, I'm kind of almost genetically programmed to like that, going right back. Because often when I think about what makes us happy, I think, well, we haven't really evolved since the sort of Stone Age. You know, if we think about things like the Dunbar number and the sort of uh, a lot of the kind of psychological processes that we try to replicate in our modern world. We're basically scrabbling around trying to kind of. Um, find a 21st century version of what we needed when we lived in little villages because we haven't evolved that much. So I think that, you know, our attitude to the female body is probably no different from any of the other ones. You know, we're still looking for kind of someone who'll make fat brain children. But we're trying to struggle with the kind of opposing forces of consumerism and 
the clothes that are easy to make because they don't have so many darts in them. You know? <laughs> I'm rambling, <laughs> but, but it's but just, you know, it, 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 that's, what, that's, that's what preoccupies me at the moment. <laughs> uh, and if I were to, to ask you the, you know, the $64,000 question of how those ramblings related specifically to Rubens, how would you put that together? Well, I, I go back to the idea that when we look at, you know, when we look at old art, we're just looking at them with our modern eyes. We don't, we, you know, we haven't lived the life of the people that would have looked at those paintings. So how can we possibly truly get involved? You know, we can intellectualize about them and we can read our history, but we don't have the body that grew up in that age with all of its different privations or whatever, uh, that would see those paintings. And also, you know, the, not many people would see those paintings. Now, of course, we see a zillion reproductions on the web. Not many people would have even seen them. They would have made, they would have made, you know, the, the person in that era, they wouldn't, they'd see less images in a, in a year or, than we see in an hour. Well, that's true, except for the churches. Mm. Over and 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 over again, 5,000 paintings, Rubens is painting altarpieces, and he does loads and loads and loads of them. The stuff that we've talked about, really, you're absolutely right, they were for the aristocrats and the kings, and they were behind doors, but it's the, as Germain says, it's the depositions, it's the adoration of the Magi, it's all of those things that people would have seen. And this was propaganda of the First Order for the, for the Catholic. I think there's also another thing going on, which is, um, this is a thought I've had a few times, looking at things like Velasquez's portraits of the Habsburgs, where you've got a Habsburg prince riding a horse, and he looks dead, and the horse looks alive. And you think, is this painter subverting his patrons, and are they smart enough to see what he's doing? Now, in all Baroque portraiture, including the portrait of the Princess Grimaldi, you do have this tension between what is supposed to be being presented and what is actually striking you. You've got a dog that's not much bigger than a hamster. You've got these strange suggestions of disproportion and wrongness. Now, ultimately, what have we got with um, Rubens? He's a court painter. He's importantly patronised by both the church and by the Spanish monarchy. Um, they've been at war in the Netherlands forever. They've had a 15-year truce for a minute, and then they were at war for another 30 years. And this is a nasty war, fought by mercenaries, bringing disease and impoverishing the people. And really, Rubens was also a diplomat, and his, his aim was peace. Now, peace requires reconciliation of opposites, and he never forgets about that. He should be given credit. The man's a humanist. He was at school for seven years before he even began to train as a painter. Then when he trained as a painter, he self-consciously worked hard to uh, learn everything there was about the classical tradition. I don't think we can um, talk about him as if he's some sort of pornographer. Or... Uh, that must be true. Um, and I think it's, you know, nobody's going to, to in any way contest that it's, you know, that if we really want to understand what Rubens is up to, um, we are going to, th we must think about his representation, the body in relation to, you know, ideas of the 17th century uh, and their engagement with the classical tradition. It still remains the case, which, I, and I think that there's a, you know, it's, it's quite easy to sort of avoid this and by a nice academic manoeuvre that, you know, you go out and you talk about Rubens and, you know, this is not about Rubens, it's about us, 
But we look at this in a way that is quite meaningful. And I'm still not quite sure what you guys think it means. I mean, Thomas has put forward, I think, you know, plausibly this kind of sense of, uh, you know, the, the dark, animaline, you know, in some way, um, othered bloke in relation to a passive, very pale woman. And that's, you know, that's part of it. And, and that is uh, developing a, an idea of, of the classical tradition of the body, but in, in a very, very loaded way. I'm not sure quite how far you, Jermaine, are really speaking to someone who says, look, you know, in the end, you know, there is a lot of flesh here. And, and that might not be Reuben's problem, and it might be anachronistic, but actually part of the question that we're asking is, how do we look at this, Grayson? Uh, well, he might have just enjoyed painting flesh. You know, as an artist, you concentrate on the bits you enjoy. Look, he also enjoyed painting fur. He enjoyed <laughs> painting velvet. He's got more clothed portraits than he has naked ones. Um, we have a few naked portraits in the classical tradition, but Rubens didn't paint any of them. Most of Rubens' portraits are fully clothed, bejeweled, roughed, and he's also capable of painting any one of his eight children... And all the women we're talking about are, are two things. They're either virginal or they're maternal. We don't have an inner space for sexually active women who aren't either of those. There are no courtesans in Rubens. Um, he, when he paints one of his children, the child is not in the room. The child is not posing. What you've got there is the most extraordinary, loving memory of the smell of that child's earlobes, of the shape of the child's eye, of the sunlight. He's the best painter of sunlight before... Um, I'm not even thinking anyone's ever been that good. Um, the sun is striking across the child's eye and you see the curve of the child's eyeball. So extraordinary. Only a man who had gazed at his children completely besotted could even remember that. Why we're stuck with all these dreary and mostly completely formulaic female figures, I can understand. <laughs> You've got better paintings. Look at them. So it sounds to me like we're sort of teetering around a misconception. No, at least one. <laughs> and I, I think we might totally accept that there are many misconceptions at stake here but we do also need to see the wood for the trees i think and you know, you know okay, you're very you know it's all very well you saying these daughters of leucippus you know they were being abducted not raped but i look at Tom's they had children eventually but, and I look, look at Panadus, you know, she is not being abducted. I, I think True. we should think again about the patrons, what they wanted. He, isn't he giving them what they wanted? And what I really enjoyed in this show is the landscapes. And there's oh. others of his home <laughs> uh, farm. And they're really fantastic. I suspect when he's, you know, he's got his day off and he goes, oh, I'll paint something, he paints a landscape. And he paints it for himself because he loves his place and his farm and all the rest of it. We don't, when we, the tragedy is when we think of Rubens, we think of this, and we don't think of the pictures of his wife, the pictures of his children, or the pictures of his home. And those are fine, fine images. If I'd seen those, I would never have written him off. Do you, do you think that when he does a painting like this, you know, the, 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 uh, the patron says, okay, I want a sort of musty bloke and a nude yeah. woman in some bushes, and then he sort of works up a kind of... Uh, that'll fit that, fit, that yeah. scenario. 
You know, I really do, because he does it over and over and over again. There are hundreds of these types of images in Rubens, more than any other painter before him, I think. I'm letting, I'm letting, <laughs> Sorry, Jamal, I'm, I'm, let, I'm letting you off the hook here because, you know, in the end, you know, in, in some ways, you, of course, you're right. What all of you are saying is right. But I, I still think that we are failing to engage with our investment in this. Because, you know, what we think of Pan and the Syrinx isn't necessarily anything to do with the patron. It's not necessarily to do what Rubens thought he was doing or how much he was got getting paid for it. This is about one of the images and one of the style of images that have actually become formative and central to Western views of representing the body and gender. And we're just saying, I'd rather look at his landscapes. Well, we would. We're allowed to tell the truth. Uh, I don't terribly want to look at Pan and Syrinx. Um, isn't she going to end up being turned into a reed? I mean, that doesn't sound like terribly satisfactory intercourse to me. Wake up the reed. Um, and uh, you're I know quite a lot right. of people who like a good reed in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and these are pictures for these are pictures for a connoisseur, and they might. And they might be, well, that's what they're for. They were kept in the cabinet or the disenu, whatever. They weren't hung on public walls. And they're little. Oh, they're very little. And, well, yes, not but always. Many of them are very little. Poor old frigid Venus isn't very little, but mainly because they added two whacking great slices of panel on either side and, and buggered up the Venus composition. We should know. Well, Sorry, but you, it's I out there. Them. I feel for her. She looks so cold. She looks like a woman in Newcastle. But the interesting... <laughs> Somebody but, had chosen but the interesting thing about that, you see, is you've got a cliché figure that everybody painted. One of the ways you could work with oh, Rubens there she is, there she is. is just... And look again. Just try and work out the anatomy here. I mean, he hasn't actually seen that a woman from there to the shoulder. Oh, but it's, it's absolutely classical. And we know where it comes from. It comes from Terence without Bacchus and so Corn and think, think, Frigate Buenos. Oh, we, it's... Um, well, maybe he painted people in that shape because it had, we had a certain effect on us, you know, an unconscious effect. When you paint, when you, you distort the body... Really? Well, yeah, you know, all the distortions that artists have made over the centuries to bodies, you know, and that's probably the thing that often sort of signifies different styles in art over the years... Is the, is, the, is the emotional effect, we kind of almost empathise with the form and say, what's happened to it? So this is where I, I'm going to go with Jermaine. I'm going to say, look, this looks to me like um, a parody of the classical crouching Venus. Mm -hmm. And what he's done is said, here we've got all these images of a crouching Venus and we imagine them next to some lovely Mediterranean pool. Now the joke is, what if she's crouching with no clothes on because she's absolutely frozen? In Belgium. In Belgium, yes. Well, it, it seems to me that that's absolutely right. This is a winter landscape, and what's been added to it to make it make sense is the winter landscape, yeah. which is in this... Yeah. If you think about the, the is uh, composition... Is it a winter landscape? It's leaves on the trees. Oh, there's plenty of trees. It's always... It's always <laughs> I think we can get intellectual backpedalling here. In, in, in Rubens' landscapes, it's always a summer afternoon, about four o'clock. No, uh, it is not. It's, it's very Hedge usually... Stein is early in the morning, and yeah. he painted it for years. I um, think it's always... Uh, do you think he had kind of like his version of clip art? Uh, <laughs> so he just sort of well, he just dug out the landscape. Here we have. Here we have. He didn't have any to, winter ones. Instagram. Back to the dark, swarthy gentleman <laughs> and the pale, <laughs> ethereal lady. That's all I'm saying. He's not a gentleman. 
He's got animal ears. How many gentlemen have you met with animal ears? I think that's very goddist. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that Pan or something? Yes, Yes, it is. He's a satyr. Look, guys, and Jermaine, I think it's time that we threw this a bit open to the audience to see how your strongly worded views have gone down or whether there are any comments, disagreements or objections. I didn't have an objection. I had a question um, from some great observations. I've been around the Rubens exhibition a couple of times now, and for me, the concerns I have from a body image perspective, it never is to do with whether the woman is fleshy, Rubenesque, or whether this is a constant, repeated body image. But similar to what Tom mentioned, is that it's not actually a woman. It is a perfected, perfect complexion based on classical art, godlike. Um, and where the men are sometimes earthy real, the dwarf obviously needs a hell of a lot of sleep and a good shave. The woman is dead behind the eyes. Um, and that is what concerns me. But that is probably not unique to Rubens. I saw the Venus of Urbino last week, and she's alive. She's really alive. But these women aren't, and that surprises me. Well, if we, if we agree that they're lay figures um, and that what's really important about them is whether they're made to live by the, the action of the paint and the way the paint traps the light and reflects the light. And he worked really hard on these things, painting on slate or painting on panel. Um, and some of the pictures in the exhibition strike me as a bit sticky, some of the things that are on canvas, which he normally painted if it had to be sent a long way away. Um, the, the difficulty is, well, if you actually think of the female portraits... Now, one of the things that he and Van Dyck used to do was actually paint types that they would use later in paintings as, as to the waist, a pussycat. So that they, and they did it, they had thousands of these that they could then work into paintings. They never did that with women because the women figures are nearly always idealised, and especially if they're allegorical. And the thought that nakedness equals lust in a Rubens painting is asinine. It's nonsense, Um, because truth, for example, is stark naked. That's what truth has to be, without one rag of form on. He's he's a Platonist, ultimately, which is tedious and And academic, but it's also true. And you think there's nothing erotic about that? Oh, we haven't even used the word erotic. (laughs) And we can feel erotic about all sorts of things. You can feel erotic about the crucifix, if you really want. But if you look at Fortuna, you know, in the exhibition, Fortuna Mm. is not a woman. You know, she's a no. sort of you know, a muscular man with a few apples around this uh, sort of way. She's a sort of pantomime dame. But if you think about the, uh, the little sketch of the Leucipides um, and you remember that, that pose, this pose here, straighten it up, go back to truth, it's, this, it's the figure tipped over. Again, we've got um, a cliché figure. And she's, she's not erotic. What she's there to indicate is that the truth of Marie de Medicis's reign, and remember she's been banished, uh, will be revealed with, with the fullness of time. But there is no erotic charge in that body. There shouldn't be. 
Yeah, yeah, you remember when he married for the second time, he said, look, you know, if I'm going to sacrifice, essentially he said, if I'm going to sacrifice my independence, I want a young strumpet. You know, why would I look? That's what he said. What? He said, I wouldn't go for an older woman. I'm going to go. So he picked an 18-year-old woman, and then he had, what, three or four new children? Five. within Five. There you go. Within as many the, years. And I mean, the he last went for one it. was born eight months after he died. So he had, he had a libido and some. But he didn't, I'm sure, in Dutch, he didn't... Oh, Dutch, in Flemish, he didn't say that he wanted a strumpet. No man would really want a strumpet because you'd get damaged children. Remember, syphilis is abroad in the Netherlands. I don't mean he meant he wanted a, a woman in the night, but he certainly didn't want to sacrifice his independence to a mature lady. He wanted an 18-year-old, you know, lascivious... 16-year-old, thank you, Tim. But that's um, his real life, it's not... He's, uh, we're talking about the painting, so there's two different things, you know. Except he painted her quite a lot. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, you know, they're sort of, in these allegorical paintings, you know, if, 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 we, if, if I'm to understand what you're saying, is that, you know, the nude woman is like sort of the equivalent of the kind of dolly bird walking around the boxing gym. Instead of holding up a number, she's holding up a sort of a virtue or... <laughs> uh, a, 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 you know. She's like the girls who watch as, they, as the racing drivers shake the champagne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's a pit, they're the pit girls of the classical world. <laughs> well, not, not quite. But I do agree that if you try to put together... If you, if you tried to make a mannequin of that figure and tried to make it work, it really wouldn't work. And the... the troublesome area is always between the bottom of the rib cage and the top of the hips and he always has the breasts upside down for the very good reason that women wore stomachers that pushed their breasts up so that the round bit was at the top and he didn't he's a bit like Goya he didn't really know what they'd look like once you took them off so that he, and most of the women around him are either lactating or pregnant and this shows in the figures as well but it's, it's not something to be... Well, of course, in this country, it is repulsive to think of women breastfeeding. But I don't think it was in Belgium in the 17th century. I still... Can I allow myself one comment? I still worry about your certainty about what is erotic and what is not erotic. But I haven't said I was sure about that. Uh, you, it's implied, it implied in your tone. Yes, I implied. said that this figure carries no erotic charge. I think you're reading too much into it. As I, as an artist, first what I look at is the picture. All of his pictures are chiaroscuro, light and shade. Now, I think you've touched on a lot of subjects, but I think the main thing is this. His, um, art, his, this art with the nudes in it are bread and butter. His other works are works which he enjoy, and people, most probably the majority of people enjoy the other works because these works most probably were specific for specific clientele who maybe kept them, you know, locked up in a room and only had them on show when they had specific parties, uh, maybe max balls or balls where they'd like to dress up and do the things that are actually in the picture. Also, uh, what we look, when we look at them with the, um, uh, the horses and things like that, if you look closely... If you can see that the horses are infuriating, so what we're actually seeing there, if we just look at it and forget sex and anything else and flesh, what we're looking at there is, you know, horses who are infuriated. So what are we saying? What's the picture saying? To me, as an artist, it is saying that man is more bestial than the beast, you know, because the beast is infuriated at what the man is doing, you know, what the humans are doing. If I could just say about that... Uh, the image of the two horses is straight from Plato. 
It doesn't matter where they're straight from. It, you, lust, what, the you're, you're going into things that wouldn't have concerned him as an artist. It's what concerns him at the time, is what he is about and what he wants to present. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's with writing. It's everything you've learned in universities on the shoulders of some, somebody else. So we're talking about what the actual picture is portraying. The actual picture is portraying infuriated horses who, uh, you know what I mean, if you think that, that horses are beasts, then look at mankind, he's, he's more bestial than the horse, you know. And that's what I am seeing in the picture because I'm not overcome by the, the sex of the pictures. I don't think it's about sex at all, but it would appeal to people on a specific level as sex. But the higher you get in your brain, you know, or, or in the priesthood, you wouldn't think about the sex. You would think about the overall portrayal and what the artist is predicting in that particular piece of art. What, what, can I just take it out of this exhibition? I was reading about uh, um, uh, uh, Rubens, and the painting I love most is the painting with the circle of friends. And there's these heads of intelligence, and one of them is Galileo, and one of them is Rubens, and there are and uh, that. Told, I was shocked by that. I thought, you know, he is a classicist, he is an antiquarian, he's an intellectual, he hangs out with clever people, he has big ideas, he talks, he discusses. Um, he had this friend, uh, this paralyzed friend called Balthazar Maritas, who was a childhood friend who was paralyzed and for whom he uh, illustrated books. And I, that's the Rubens that I love, the Rubens who had an inner life, the Rubens who discussed, uh, like we're doing today, very much classical and contemporary politics and culture and history. And I feel this is his day job, but this isn't the real Rubens. I still find it extremely odd that we're all kind of um, going round the corner to find real Rubens, which is a real Rubens, which is very different from how people now imagine and understand him. Now, I think that's, as I said at the, the, the what I said at the very beginning, I think there is a real difference, and we shouldn't confuse Rubin's own context from what it is saying to us. But our certainty about these images is very odd, because when I look at that one, The, the Rape of the Daughters of Leucippus, what I see are the two um, are the images of the horsemen on the, which are now put up outside the Capitoline Museums in Rome. Mm. Um, and I see not enraged horses, but a famous work of classical art reincorporated into an image. Now, we're not going to go to the stake on either of these things, but... I still think you get an awful lot of people in here and they'd say, look, what is central in that scene is a woman being grabbed, right? And, you know, you're talking about the horses. But it's That's a sort of dance. This is contact improvisation. This, this is a beautiful... Yeah, because look at his, her foot um, down <laughs> here and he's stopping her foot on the ground. There's a sort of whole choreography about this, isn't it? And he's going, look, I can choreograph two blokes, three naked ladies, two horses and a cherub. You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Only it's impressive just stuff. just happens to be the rape, the daughter's Luke. Oh, details, details. That's not what it's really about. No, it's about virtuosity. But the and, other it's, and it's not rape anyway, because Jermaine's going to tell us it's abduction. And Ovid, when he told about the stories, said they really enjoyed it. So that's fine then. They're just borrowing the women No, the no, I didn't say that, and I won't say that. Ovid but, did. But what I would say is, what happens next in this picture? The only thing that could happen next is that the horses trampled the women. Now, what's actually happened here is it's frozen. It's been stopped. 
And when I said to you before, it's actually about divine intervention. That's what's happened here. That's what the game that the painter is playing. This is a rebus. This is a knot. It's a joke. It's a game. And the Baroque is full of games to be played by people who understand the rules. And that's how, you that's how you, this picture works. If you look at it as a picture of sexual violence, it doesn't work at all. But it's, but it's drawn from an account in Ovid which is precisely about sexual so, violence. But, but this, is, this is theatrical. This is, this is in a studio. The backdrop is a painting. And they're in for the afternoon. They're being paid by the hour. It's a staged thing. And it's what's really struck me with a lot of his Arcadian scenes. They're like Shakespeare. That's the Forest of Arden. They're like, okay, we're going to... We, you know, it's, it's, it's fake. It's, it's fairyland. It's not real. But it isn't even staged. You couldn't stage this. The only way they could do this would be with wooden mannequins that were suspended. They may have used a light box. There are a hundred different ways they can do it. But it is always contrived. Yes. What makes it live, the important thing is what Rubens does with paint. Paint is the point. Well, he's kind of, like, filled the canvas very well, hasn't he? I mean, he's really crammed it in. <laughs> I mean, it is like, there's not much spare space there, you know, and it very conveniently fits into a rectangle, this, this, this chaotic scene of sexual violence, you know, which I, I, I noticed that with a lot of the paintings. They're really crammed in. You know, into, well, the, you into the picture frame. Well, it's, it's late expensive. afternoon again. Eh? <laughs> it's, all it's all expensive. The panel is enormously expensive, uh, except I think this is oil on canvas, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, but the colours are expensive as well. You don't, you don't spread them around. Well, I, I, the one that I was sort of thought was, is the tiger, the leopard <laughs> and the lion... And I think there are some children in there. There's some lioness with her cubs. And it's like, sort of, we're just going to throw it in, the one that's in here. It's extraordinary painting. It's bizarre. It's completely staged and faked up. We laugh at the Duanier Russo, but this is just the same. Do we laugh at the Duanier Russo? Well, we think he didn't ever know what a rainforest looked like. But... Yeah, but no, Rubens didn't know what a tiger looked like <laughs> alive. There wasn't one running around the studio. This is the whole point. A lot of it is the recycling of given ideas and given iconography. What makes it different is the way Rubens paints. 